Triple H FM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants. The Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. And now here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au and wherever you get your podcasts. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Hornsby RSL, ISC Sports and Business Plaza. Anthony the Bull Caruso back with you in the chair. Yes, it's been a while. Uh, in doing an actual discussion show and not having highlights or wraps from the oval ball codes. But we are back with the round ball, the beautiful game. We are talking football and we are talking the biggest team sport event in the four-year rotation, the FIFA Men's World Cup. It's been a long time coming. We've had to go through many highs and many lows over the last four years, but we are at it again for the next installment of the biggest team event in the world. And of all the places to do it in, Qatar. We'll get to that in just a moment. Joining me in the chair tonight, he's been become a bit of a fan favorite of ours on in Triple H Sport. And I should mention as well the award-winning Triple H Sport. But he's back with us from the YMCA down in Pimble, Luke Scarley. Good evening to you. Good evening, Anthony, and good evening, viewers. I'm great to be back. I uh, hope some of my predictions in this installment for the FIFA World Cup are not as controversial and are just as good as the ones I did in the EPL preview we had uh, about, what's that, two and a half months ago now. Um, I'm eager to get into this. I'm really hoping something big from the Socceroos. Italy not there, so my second team, I can't yeah. do anything about that. But if the Socceroos can do something, I'm going to be very, very happy. Well, thankfully, for my on my side, I've got a new second team uh, that's going to be competing in this, and it's actually Canada. Oh, no, mate, Canada! All my Canadian cousins, you've got me. You've got me as your number two fan. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's see how we go there. But we've got a lot to get through this because obviously, this is so big. We're going to do this over three parts. Yeah, it's going to be huge, Anthony. Uh, there's a lot of teams to go through, as there always is with the World Cup. A lot of players coming from a lot of different areas and corners of the globe um, to participate, and we're just going to dissect those as best as we can, and hopefully we can be spot on with who's going to be the winner. Indeed, we are. 32 teams we're going to get through over the, the next three episodes. Without further ado, the referees are in the middle. The assistant referees are position. VAR, we think, is working. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. Before we get started, Luke, we're going to have a quick chat about really how we got here. The 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar, of all places. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? It's a little bit different than what uh, most of the world would be used to in terms of a World Cup location. Um, but it's there, and hopefully it's going to go all to plan. We had our doubts when the Brazil World Cup rolled around, um, but that went quite smoothly. So I'm hoping for the best. Well, we had our doubts as well, considering that faithful day in January 2009 when it all kicked off for the uh, for the bidding for this World Cup. Of course, announced on the same day that they announced Russia 
to do the 2018 FIFA World Cup. And it has to be said that at least while both countries were brought into question about the legitimacy of the bids, you could say at least that Russia had some sort of football pedigree behind them. Qatar, we're all left scratching our heads. Well, exactly. The, the, the pedigree is just, you can say it's not there. You can say it is there. They did do very well um, in the Asian Cup. Uh, but it is financially backed, and that's probably the only reason from my perspective that this country has gotten the World Cup. But from what I've seen, they are doing some phenomenal work to try and get it up to the code of what the history has brought in other nations. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see what it is because Russia and Qatar, it's been two kind of, let's say, nations that you wouldn't particularly get to host certain things. Obviously, Russia's had quite a few, but they do have that footballing uh history along with the world cup so hopefully can qatar can start that history at this next world cup and i think one of the more the funnier things we've got to deal with in terms of qatar hosting the uh, the world cup has sort of been more of the idiosyncrasies of what has come with it so far because of course the first big promise they made was that at the end of the world cup they would be dismantling these stadiums and donating them all the way through africa you know, air-conditioned stadiums playing in the middle of Janu- um, December and January during the hottest time of the year in Qatar. Uh, you, you just sat there and just gone, uh, what? Yeah, I, I was scratching my head when they uh, brought up the whole thing about the stadiums. Realistically, you can only be hosting it now uh, just because of the weather conditions and weather will play a factor. But when we're in Brazil for the Brazil World Cup, we had games that were in 45-degree heat. Uh, at the top, and then we had games that were in nearly freezing conditions in the south. So it's not something that players aren't used to, especially in other nations as well. They play in very, very hot climates anyway. Um, but in saying that, it is detrimental to some leagues, obviously having to stop or put hiatus on what they're doing in their national competition uh, for this World Cup to go ahead. And the donating of the stadiums, uh, that's just a wait-and-see situation. Um, yeah, it ever actually goes through. Indeed. The uh, the other ones, it's sort of the more idiosyncratic uh, ones, a couple of, you would almost say, human rights violations in terms of the, what they'll try to do. But thankfully, all three have been rescinded. Uh, the original attempt to ban homosexuality at the World Cup, which I thought was just going to be an absolute non-starter in terms of that. The requirement of a dress code, I thought was going to be simply hilarious. And I mean, Try telling some of the Latin American fans to dress up is like trying to um, tell a cat to to stop cleaning itself. <laughs> and then the attempt to ban alcohol. Yeah, the th- three that were, you know, never going to pass with the greater world world um, itself. Uh, alcohol and dress code is kind of commonplace with most sporting events, especially the World Cup um, and other, other codes of sport as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of religious beliefs that we I might not get into in terms around the homosexuality and alcohol uh, codes, um, but they couldn't really enforce it on other nations if they wanted people to come into their their nation for a, a World Cup. Um, and obviously, all three of them being uh, dismissed is a good thing for all nations to come in um, and get that multiculturalism throughout the nation uh, throughout the World Cup itself. And that's what we love about one of the biggest things we love about this event. I mean, the the color that comes yeah. with it. It's entertaining. It's fun. And you know, the gone are the days of the the hooliganism that used to go on. Now it's just good natured fun. Whenever you go to these events, 
Yeah, it, 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 it's the cultures that make it. The Vuvuzelas, we all remember that. Oh, uh, the Euros that just recently went past. That, that first game after COVID when they had a full stadium in Budapest, that was amazing. Um, when you got South American teams playing South American teams, you got one half of the stadium one color, one half of the stadium the other color. Brazil and Argentina, obviously the biggest of them. Um, and the back and forth, obviously sometimes they can steer into – uh, lanes of, of violence where there's riots and there's this, but it's just so much passion and that color that comes into the stadium um, is what we all wait for. Oh, absolutely. We cannot wait. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Well, with that, I think we better get into these teams, shouldn't we? Oh, definitely. I am keen as. Well, right, well, let's get into it. We're going to start off with Group A and the first team, as is always the case whenever you do the World Cup, team number one in slot one in Group A is always the hosts, it is Qatar themselves, coached by Felix Sanchez, captained by Hassan Alhaidos. It's their first ever World Cup appearance, but they come in with a bit of form. Uh, yes, for me, um, the first, and unless they can get some pedigree out of this one, this may be some of the players' only chances to uh, score European contracts or some kind of big nation contract. Uh, so they would be looking very much so to impress. Being the host nation, they're going to have a huge amount of support behind them. And they've also done very well in the Asian Cup themselves. Uh, one striker we know from our Socceroos following, Almoez Ali, scintillating, scoring a lot of goals in that Asian Cup. He's got 39 goals in 76 games, I believe it is, or caps yep. for his nation. Uh, every player, though, playing in the, in the National League, uh, which is a very odd thing to see when it comes to national teams. Usually everyone comes from everywhere else back to their nation. Probably only the English clubs and maybe the Italian uh, nation, uh, Italy itself being club uh, nations that would have everyone for a club within their nation. Um, so I'm not sure how they're going to, they're going to go in terms of delving into other styles of play um, and encapsulating someone else's style to maybe be better than another team especially who they've got in their group with Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands. Generally, those three nations, one from South America, one from Africa, and one from Europe, are going to be very, very different to play against every game. Um, but I'm excited to see what they can do. You know, That's their first appearance. We've talked about how Qatar got the World Cup under different circumstances. And I just wonder if they're actually going to perform up to what general host nations do, and that is surprise. Well, the, the other thing to take into consideration as well is the the, the coach himself in Felix Sanchez Bas, uh, a Spanish um, player and coach. He came up, of course, through that fabled Barcelona system. So, if anyone's going to be able to teach tiki taka football, it's going to be someone that's come out of the Barcelona academy. Yes. So. Yeah. This is going to be the interesting thing is how well can they deploy tiki-taka football? Yeah, and that's probably one of the ways they're going to be uh, able to beat some of these nations if they can or just get draws and results against them. I can see Qatar getting something against Ecuador. I don't fancy Ecuador too much right now. And if they can play some passing game and get that crowd behind them, maybe even uh, do something like South Africa did when they hosted the World Cup and get that first goal uh, in game one, That'll be a huge momentum booster, and they could could maybe get a draw out of game one, and then it's just all open doors from there. Anything could happen against other nations. And as you said, the home ground advantage almost plays as a 12th man here, and no more have we seen it than the last couple of World Cups where we've seen you know, the impacts 
of having the home nation, the home crowd right behind you. We saw it with we saw it with Brazil. Um, we've seen it with Russia. I mean, we saw it with Brazil really up until their their disastrous game against Germany. Yeah. But we saw how much they got carried through with an, what was an underwhelming team throughout that competition. It was. Uh, the host nation is just a different beast. Uh, going back a while ago, South Korea, no one ever heard of them finishing in that third, fourth place playoff. Um, not seeing Qatar do that, but definitely could be a sneaky scare to get out of the group uh, ahead of Ecuador, maybe Senegal if they have something to go uh, wrong for them or just get an upset result against Qatar and then maybe they lose to the Netherlands and that door is straight open for Qatar to get into one of those top two spots. Well, let's move to our second team in Group A. It is Ecuador who have qualified from the uh, Comnebol in fourth place. So they took the last automatic position, coached by Gustavo Alfaro and captain by a very big name, Dom, in uh, Ene Valencia. We'll come to him in a moment. But this is their fourth finals appearance, their last one being in Brazil, 2014. Best ever performance. They made the round of 16 in Germany, 2006. And their current FIFA ranking, 44th. We should mention Qatar. Their current ranking is 50th as well. So a couple of the, I think, probably the weakest teams in terms of their ranking in the in the World Cup. But coming to their squad, um, the obviously the big name and the talisman of this squad is Ena Valencia, an absolute class player. Very much so. Um, he's been there for a while. I've liked him over his career so far. He's done very, very good for uh, Ecuador itself. I think by looking at the stats, it's almost a goal every two games. So very high high efficiency uh, for a national team player. Uh, probably the only other notable player that uh, our listeners might know of is Pervers Estupinan from Brighton, just moving there this year. Um, he's playing in defense, so I'm not sure how much of an impact on the game he's going to have. Uh, it's going to rely on those forward players uh, mostly. Um, but I, I, I've got them just missing out. I've actually got them uh, going out from the group stage in last place, in the fourth in the group. I can see them getting a draw or two, um, but not doing enough to get in those top two spots. And I, I mean, I'm with you. I think they're going to finish bottom. And part of the reason I think for that is that this this defensive lineup for them is just way too inexperienced. The person who's played the most games, excluding Alexander Dominikas in goals, is um, is Purvis himself, who's only played 28 games. No one in that defensive lineup has played more than 30 games. And even their midfield is relatively inexperienced. Yes, they've got the likes of Angel Mena, Carlos Gruezo, and Hexen Mendes. The other player to watch out for, Moises Casido who's also playing at Brighton, a handy player in his own right, but there's just not enough experience in this lineup. No, most national teams that do well will have one or two huge contributors into their squad over a long period of time, up around that 90-plus games or 70-plus game mark. Enna Valencia does have that, so he's got the experience, but I think he's going to be on an island up front, realistically, unless there can be some kind of wing-back play. Uh, he's got to get the ball, do something with it, and going to have to score the goals himself because I can't see it coming from anywhere else. I don't see them playing good possession ball. Uh, they did just struggle to get through the qualifying phase. Their their ranking is quite low considering a South American uh, juggernaut as they have been in the past. Um, but inexperienced, maybe it's a transitional World Cup for them, and then hopefully some of those young guys can be good for the next go-round. 
We then move on to Senegal, and this this is going to be one that's got me quite excited to to talk about here because we know that Senegal, every now and then, whenever they pop up, they usually pop up and cause a few heart flutters. And this lineup here is probably the strongest they've had in some time. They qualified as third-round winners. They beat Egypt 1-3 on penalties after the tie ended one all. Coached by Alio Cisse, captain by Kalado Kulabali. But the one name you need to look up in particular, while they've got some handy plays all around, is their number 10 in Sadio Mane. Yep, Sadio Mane, my beloved Liverpool, as I cracked on about in our EPL preview. We lost him, but I still want him to do well at this World Cup. I love what he does. I love how he plays. Uh, And with the team they've got behind him, in terms of that defense with Koulibaly in there, uh, they're going to be a real, real threat to everyone. They could finish top of the group. I've got them going through as second just because I don't see all of it coming together with every player playing at their apex peak. Um, especially big-name players, Idrissa Gay in their vice-captain, 95 games played for. Um, but I see him on a little bit of a decline. Unless he can pull something out of the bag and just be that monster in midfield that doesn't let anything through and protects the back line. Same with Chekhu Kyote. Uh, those two are just magnificent, but they're just going to have to perform to their very, very highest peak. Mane can put on a show. Uh, Ishmali Asar as well, he can put on a show. Very good skill, and there's always seems to be one African nation in a World Cup that just completely steamrolls people uh, and other nations, and they just perform out of their skin. Senegal, we expect it this time. It's it's not a nation that we're, we're underestimating. We do believe, or most people believe, they are going to do very, very well. Uh, I believe they are going to do well and get out of the group. From there, they might match up against a team that's not going to be you know, weaker than them. It's going to be a tough slog to get through that round of 16. But with what they've got in their squad, I can see them doing very, very well. It's their third finals appearance. It's their second in a row. Uh, best performance, a quarterfinals in Japan, South Korea in 2002. Of course, we remember back then, Luke, when they stunned the world, when they beat the defending champions, France, 1-0. And that was an absolute shock to the system in terms of what they pulled off in that um, in that particular tournament and then went on to the, the quarterfinals and so currently ranked 18 so they're definitely no slouch this time around to the um, uh, to the competition itself my only concern is the injury toll on this on this lineup and I, and I draw your attention to one particular name although he's he's mentioned there at the moment he is in a race against the clock and it is Eduardo Mendy. Uh, the goalkeeper for Chelsea, he is racing to try and be fit for this uh, for this competition. Yeah, if, if he's not fit, they're going to have a massive loss. Uh, they've got four goalkeepers possible. Now they're, they're, they're playing for clubs that are recognisable names, but Edouard Mendy is going to be that guy that's going to win them games. The others might not make those games. You can remember back to Spain winning all those, all those big tournament championships. Ica Casillas, his concentration was there. He pulled off big saves when they need it to get those 1-0 victories. Uh, they might need some one nilers in this in this group and going ahead because the World Cup is always full of 1-0 games where everyone's kind of cautious, playing it back, not wanting to go too gun-ho. And then the goalkeeper has to pull off a miraculous save at the end. Edward Mendy can do that and he can win you points. He can win you games on one save alone. But if he's not there, it's a shot in the arm. They might not be able to keep that goal clean. And, and I guess the the other thing as well is the injury toll, the injury toll in general, and how much of a strain that that is going to have on the on this lineup here. 
Uh, they are missing, for those who don't know, they are missing Yusuf um, Savali. We believe he's not going to make it. And then it's the other forward of note who's actually been quite handy at as of late in Famara Didul, who's currently playing over in Turkey. He scored 24 from 10, so it's no slouch in front of goals. But they're going to be missing him as they're going to be missing him as well. So it's a race against the clock to find fitness. But at this point, Luke, you've still got them getting out of the group. Definitely, I've got them in second, uh, just because I think Netherlands are going to be very, very strong defensively. Um, and I'm riding on the fact that Virgil Van Dijk is going to know how to negate Sadio Mane, and that could win them their head-to-head matchup. And it might just come down to that head-to-head matchup of who goes one and who goes two. But I'm not going to be shocked if they go through as the as the top team in in this group in Group A, um, and Netherlands go through as number two. So one or two, I don't see any way they're not getting out of this group unless a catastrophe hits. Well, with that, we then go over to the Netherlands themselves. It's been a bit of a rich, rich vein of form for the for the Dutch as of late uh, in sports in general. Not only are they back in the World Cup for the first time since Brazil 2014, of course, celebrating the form of Max Verstappen in the Formula One. So it's good to be orange at the moment. Um, they qualified from Group G uh, as winners of the in UEFA, um, and what a na- what a couple of names to have leading the team. They're coached by Louis van Gaal and their captain by Virgil van Dijk. Yep, great coaching, great uh, players in general. Virgil van Dijk is the cap at the back. Um, he's got some good good clout around him as well. Delict Timber can jump in there as well. Arcave De Vrij, uh, that's solid solid replacements. If anything should happen, hopefully not, and hopefully we get to see everyone at their peak and on display. Uh, One person I'm actually looking forward to seeing, maybe coming off the bench or just getting a match here and there that could be something like Renato Sanchez was for Portugal over the years is uh, Ryan Gravenberch, uh, recently moved into Bayern Munich. Uh, He's got some skills. He's a a young baller, and I want to see what he can do. He might not break into this squad with how many midfielders and midfield uh, depth they have in terms of quality. Um, But I I like what I'm seeing from him. Likewise, uh, Cody Gakpo, he's been scintillating so far this year for uh, PSV in the uh, Eras Divisi. Um, and flying down that wing, young players are the key at World Cups by going on historical records. There's always people that pop up, young guys that are looking for a contract or they haven't been recognized at their club and they just get that one chance. And uh, Cody Gak- Gakpo could be that guy as well. Best performance, three times runners-up. Of course, Germany, 1974, Argentina, 1978, and South Africa, 2010. But it should be – and they're ranked eighth in the world, but it should be noted that while this is their 11th finals appearance, this is their first appearance since Brazil 2014. They went through probably one of the darkest patches we've seen a country – an established nation go through in terms of non-appearances at the FIFA World Cup – say for probably the one that Italy is going through right now. Yep. Italy, uh, the hit miss. They do the win and then they capitulate. Netherlands, Andreas Iniesta destroyed their lives. That one goal back back in the day in 2010, uh, it kind of set the ball rolling for a complete rebuild. Uh, not that you can rebuild the national side too well because you're limited by players of that nation, but a lot of those players that are in that team never really found their groove again. Uh, Now they've kind of left that in the past and they've got their new guys in. 
they could be a team that could surprise again and get to those that final stage, the final four, the, the, the final itself and be in the final two. I don't particularly have them right now as the favorites in my mind. There are a few teams ahead of them, but they're definitely up in that top six that could win it all. And I guess the real challenge that we've got is going to be, you know, who takes the position in the um in in this in this lineup here. And we start from the the back. We start even from the back in particular. Jasper Sillison, um, probably the most caps for the for the competition. But if you go on raw ability throughout the career, Tim Krull in goals, we know what he can do. But is he too old? And then the other question I've then got it, with this lineup is going to be up front. They've got Memphis Depay who is very handy, but apart from maybe Luke De Jong, there's not much else up front for them. Uh, no. Like I said, Cody Gakpo has got to perform. He's going to be exciting and, and one of those players looking to get at it. Memphis Depay is probably going to be the one they're going to start. Um, I'm not sure who else can be in there. If they want to just play big man up top and swing it in, Valve Weghorst, uh, you could throw him in there. At six foot six or six foot seven, whatever his height is listed at the moment, it always changes. But he is very, very tall. Uh, but Luke Dion can do that role as well, and he's always come off the bench for club and country and done a job. But most of their, most of their goals are going to have to come from midfield. They've got a lot of good runners: Wijnaldum, Dion, uh, Bergwijn. They can all they can all do the running up and down the wings, and they can even drift inside. So Memphis Depay isn't stuck up there himself. Well, there's our prediction for Group A at the moment. We are calling the Netherlands from Senegal. And don't be surprised if there's a few headaches from, uh, we think, from Qatar as the host nations. When we come back, we're going to go on to Group B of the our preview for the FIFA World Cup. It's going to be huge, this one here, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, youtubemusic.com.au, triplehfm.com.au, and indeed wherever you get your podcasts. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Hornsby RSL, ISC Sports and Business Plaza. We'll be right back. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Your local RSL is at the heart of every community and there is none better in the Hornsby-Karingai area than the Hornsby RSL. Whether you're planning a major event, dinner with family or friends or having a quiet night at your local, Hornsby RSL is the place to be. Rediscover what enjoying life is all about with regular weekly events, special entertainment and some of the best eateries in Sydney, we have you covered for a great night out. As always, drink responsibly. Support the club that supports. Come to Hornsby RSL at 4 High Street, Hornsby or get in touch on 94 777 and at hornsbyrsl.com.au. The Hornsby RSL, proud station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. 
Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian-owned and fully customisable, ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Dom Rizzuto would say, look sharp and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Looking for a fun night out with family and friends? Then come to the hidden gem in the Hornsby Coringai area, The Attic. Located inside Hornsby RSL, The Attic provides all the fun and excitement you can expect from a bowling and arcade bar in an intimate location that ensures a real gaming experience for everyone. With four 10-pin bowling lanes, Australia's first augmented reality bowling experience and a selection of traditional and custom-built arcade games, The Attic is the place to let your inner child run wild. So make sure you book your next night out at The Attic at 4 High Street Hornsby. Call them on 94777777 or book via their website at theattichornsby.com.au. The Attic, part of Hornsby RSL, station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au and wherever you get your podcast. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Hornsby RSL, ISC Sports and Business Plaza. Anthony Caruso back with our special guest Luke Scarley as we go through the two, 2022 FIFA World Cup would you believe this is going to be part one? Luke, this is so big. We've got to do this in three parts. Absolutely huge. Uh, World Cup is the biggest thing in the world for the sporting calendar. Obviously, every four years it comes around. Um, and it's just just massive. You've got a whole bunch of teams. You've got a whole bunch of culture. And you've got a whole bunch of history. So let's keep building on it. Uh, absolutely. We're going to move on now to Group B. And I'll tell you what, if... if Group A was light on. Group B, well, this is a heavyweight group if I've ever seen one. Uh, extra heavy. You've got an old rivalry. You've got a Middle Eastern country. And you've got the US, the commercial marketing capital of the world. Uh, right. So we're going to have a lot of things happening in this group. Well, let's get into it. And the first, off, the first cab off the rank is England qualifying from UEFA Group I as winners once again, coached by Gareth Southgate, captained by Harry Kane. This is a squad that's remained very stable over the last four years. Of course, no one expected them in Russia to do as well as they did. And we are, we've still got that it's coming home ringing in our ears from the last four years. And it has to be said, probably well-deserved, given, given that for the first time ever, they actually went in with reasonable expectations. Uh, yes, the It's Coming Home uh, slogan might be hitting again for the next two months uh, because they are looking good. I uh, can't put it past England. They do have a very good squad depth-wise across the park. They've got players that are interchangeable with other positions on the field. They're all playing at big clubs. Uh, we've got youth. We've got experience. We've got pace. We've got tactical nous. 
Uh, the coaching is stable. The team is stable. They've got a good world ranking, which is indicating they've been playing well. They got to that final in the Euros. Um, it's just whether they can put it together and get to another final and just hopefully get some luck on their side because luck is going to play a big part in it like any nation would tell you when it comes to a, a tournament. Uh, but they've got forwards that can score and it's all about goals, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Um, look, let's let's talk about the, the coach, um, Gareth Southgate, because he has while he has been under a little bit of criticism for lacking that extra bit of tactical nous at critical moments of the game, it has to be said that out of all the managers we've seen from England, this is quite easily the best man manager we have seen England pick in some time. Yep, he knows his players and he knows how to get through to his players. Uh, it's more the media that's kind of t- tearing down the players than it is uh, the in the ins of the team. You see it with other nations, it's kind of the players pulling each other apart and wanting to make friendship groups and little cliques uh, and play with this player and I want to play on the left, I want to play on the right. England doesn't seem to have that. They seem to just be, I'll play here, I'll do what the coach says, I'll press when the coach tells me to. Uh, you look at the back line itself, there's a lot of wing backs in there, fully interchangeable. Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker are uh, some of the, the perfect examples. One, one, one week they're playing right back, Kyle Walker's at right back. Next, we're doing tactic change, you're playing centre back. Trippier, we're playing right back this time. Next game you're playing left back and they just get on with the job and they, they do the best they, that they possibly can. And what they possibly can has actually been really good. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to go in terms of playing at this World Cup. Uh, that You could just throw a, a throw a rock into a pond and wherever it lands is going to be the squad because they have such good depth and they have such good players that can change here and there, uh, especially up front. Uh, the Gareth Southgate has got a very, very good headache on how he can put this side together. Well, let's start with let's start with the goalkeeping lineup because it's probably the the least experienced lineup that you would see of of all any of the nations in terms of goalkeepers. Um, you know, their most experienced goalkeeper um, has hasn't been called up in some time in Jordan Pickford, but it has to be said that if you're going to pick this this goalkeeper on form, you would think it's either going to be Nick Pope or dare I say Dean Henderson. Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird one, the England team, uh, with their goalkeepers. Um, they're all playing at, at good clubs, yet none of his actually seems to be better than each other. Usually there's always a, I am the dominant, I am the number one when it comes to goalkeepers, and there's a number one and there's a number two. And the number two is always pushing that number one, but they just can't seem to get above that that threshold and take that number one spot. England, though, on the other hand, Four guys can drop in. None of them seem to be worse than each other. None of them seem to be better than each other. I would be going with Nick Pope if I'm uh, Gareth Southgate. I think he's been exceptional this year for Newcastle. Um, Ramsdale, you know, here and there with Arsenal, he he's had some great games. He's had some not-so-great games. Uh, Pickford seems to be the incumbent one that Gareth Southgate likes the most, uh, and he can do good shot-stopping. His kicking is pretty good, but Nick Pope... I think he's going to be the number one when it comes to match day one. We know, we know we've sort of discussed how the, the defensive lineup is, is spoiled for choice there. They're a little bit short in terms of the midfield, and it doesn't help the fact that they've got Calvin Phillips, who's currently out injured, but certainly good choices to be made there with the likes of Declan Rice, John Hen- Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount. And dare I say, if they need to, I wouldn't be surprised if James Ward-Prowse gets a, a run in this lineup. Yep, you're 100% right. 
Um, James or Prowse could easily just slot into that midfield spot and there'll be no troubles with how the lineup will set up, nor with the playing style. He can just go into any team realistically in the Premier League um, and the national team without any differentiating in skill level. Uh, He's probably going to play Mason Mount. That's kind of England's darling right now in the midfield. Jordan Henderson, I'm a Liverpool fan. I've been calling for him to be dropped from the Liverpool side. I don't see how he fits in realistically. He doesn't run enough for me anymore. Uh, Declan Rice seems to be the dominant defensive midfielder. And then I'll be playing Mount and probably Ward-Prowse. I would like to see Bellingham get a get a go, but you know, it seems to be that he's not, not the favorite there, um, which is sad. And then we go up front and, you know, if they get everyone available, they are really sport for choice about who they can put up. We know Harry Kane's going to be a, a guaranteed starter. There is no question yep. about that. But the the choice they've then got after that is absolutely incredible. The likes of Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, Bukaya Saka, Tammy Abraham, and when he's back from suspension, Jack Grealish as well. Yep, 100%. Harry Kane will be running through the middle. Uh, Phil Foden is a standout in a Man City squad, which is just littered with talent. So he's probably going to be starting on the left. Um, Bukayo Saka is actually the one I would start on the right. And then Jack Grealish, when he comes back from that suspension, uh, I don't think he jumps straight back into the side. He might be playing him in a role next to Kane or just behind Kane, like kind of Son does in that Tottenham lineup. Uh, But then you're kind of like top heavy. I don't know where the defensive mind will come from. Unless you're going to play two DMs and Henderson does keep his spot and you're going to play Declan Rice and Henderson. Uh, But definitely the three across the front, uh, the front runners for me are Kane, Foden and Saka at the moment. Sterling might jump in there, but realistically Saka should deserve his spot in the starting lineup, how he's been playing. Hard one to go past in terms of England. It's It's a great squad. We'll see how we go. We then move on to the second team in Group B. It is Iran who qualified from the AFC third-round Group A winners, um, coached by Carlos Queros and captained by Hassan Hajsafi. And in the past, we've normally seen everyone playing within the Iranian or maybe the Qatari League or even in Saudi Arabia. These um, Not anymore these days. Uh, no, we've got a, quite a few outside of those nations. Um, I'm not super familiar with Iran in terms of their playing quality within their national teams. With these players outside of the National League, uh, they're actually quite good. Uh, they've given some scares to the Socceroos, uh, the Asian qualifying through there. So we've seen them quite a bit uh, when they've played in our, our, our group stages there. Um, and they've always been a, a, a damn hassle for the Socceroos, so I can't see why they can't get something out of this group. USA and Wales and England are beatable teams, despite Wales and England having that that power as you know s- football and World Cup and Euros and UEFA kind of powerhouses. I can see Iran hassling. I can see them hassling them, scraping a draw, maybe being very very physical. Um, if they just decide to go out there and just kick each other and, and just and just kick them until they can get a counter-attack, uh, draws and possibly sneaking wins could be on the cards for this Iranian team. And and really, the, the strength of this team is actually, dare I say, up front, especially with their uh, front three of Karim and Sarafad, Sardar Azmun and Mehdi Taremi, who between the 
three of them, I can't believe I'm about to say this, they have scored nearly 100 goals between the three of them. It's a very impressive attacking lineup. The only downside that we that I see from this lineup, in particular with them, is their age. They're starting to get on a little bit. So the question I've got is how much longer have they got left? Yeah, they've all got huge amounts of caps on their, uh, on their names for their national side. Uh, we talked about previous, previous teams, um, especially a team like Senegal, um, a team like Ecuador. They don't have many national caps. Uh, Iran is the opposite. Almost their whole squad is 30-plus caps. Uh, with those front three, you know, they're not huge astronomical amounts of caps in compared to big, big nations, but 94, 65, and 60, um, with Mehdi Taremi scoring 28 goals in 60 uh, appearances, and he's playing for Porto. That's some that's some good clout they've got there that can score some goals. So we know they can do it. I know they've been scoring against weaker oppositions in the uh, Asian qualifying, uh, piling on some goals in a few games. Uh, but the, it, that's you only can beat what's in front of you, and scoring goals is what they do. Absolutely, it's going to be fascinating to see how they're going to be able to shape up with this one here, and it's showing that Iran is starting to evolve beyond what they've done previously, which is really going to be really promising to see how they then progress from there. We then move on, I think, to probably one of the biggest talking points of this group, and is going to be the United States of America. They qualified from third round of the CONCACAF um, qualification in third place, coached by Greg uh, Berlata and captained by Walter Zimmerman. It's their 11th finals appearance, their first since Brazil 2014, so it has been a while. Their best performance was a third place at the first ever World Cup in Uruguay in 1930, currently ranked 16th in the world, but... This is a team that, as you and I know, over the last um, eight years has been absolutely savage for the underperformance that we have seen from them. Yep, you said it right. Um, Their ranking is 16. So you you can read into that what you will. It seems that the US are good, but they're also not good. (laughs) They've got a lot of players there that can do things. They're playing at reasonably good clubs. Um, you look at Weston McKinney, he starts a lot of games for Juventus. Uh, he plays a big minutes. He's very, very powerful in midfield in a European club in big games, the Champions League and the National League. Um, but it seems to when they get to the national team themselves, the US national team, they just don't bring that across. Uh, low caps for some of their players a lot of players playing on the bench for their club and kind of getting sporadic minutes besides those few big players. Um, but this is this is a real transitional World Cup as well. I know they haven't made it since 2014. Uh, but I don't really see much from the US. I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really feeling what they're given. I've got them in third, so they're going to miss out uh, out of the group. But the paper seems to be falsified. I can't see why they're 16th. I don't see how they can get out of this group um, unless some kind of fireworks go off. As a team that, of course, over the last few years has sort of had to been forced into moving on from the uh, the golden generation, headed up by the likes of Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, and Tim Howard. And we all remember the the, the commentary mm. rant from about five, six years ago saying that some of these players need to step up. Well, 
They didn't step up. They stepped out and just went, I'm done. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And, and it poses two questions for, uh, for me in particular from having watched them over the last while. First off, what is their, what is their actual playing philosophy? Because it seems like they're lacking one. And mm. the second question I've then got is how do they then shape themselves up to play to a particular philosophy? Because it seems on both counts, there's no um, answers. Yeah, I don't know what their philosophy is going to be. It's, it seems like whenever they are in trouble, it's just the pass the ball to Christian Pulisic button is pressed um, and see what he can do. Uh, and then he just rides a wave of I play for Chelsea um, to try and score. Uh, we've got Tyler Adams there now at Leeds. So, you know, he, he he's going to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more energetic playing in the Premier League. That might transition over. So, Genio Dest... He's very young. He's got that Milan move now. Um, same with DeAndre Yedlin. He's big time. He play, he's played in the Premier League as well. Uh, but that, that's that's really where they got to where they got to go. They've just got to rely heavily on their players with the name recognition because, I, like you said, I don't know where their philosophy is. I don't know what style they're going to play. Whether it's going to be a game to game kind of transitional basis. Sometimes we're going to play passing. Sometimes we're going to play pace down the wings counter-attack's probably their best option they've got pace so uh playing against big nations generally that's what the small nations have to rely on dropping deep playing very very conservative and then just playing on the break um they can do that with their pace but uh nothing coming out of the group for me the other thing that i sort of noticed from this as well is the Sort of, and one thing I was very curious about was to look at who's been managing this team and sort of when they've been at their best. And really, with no disrespect to Greg Ber, um, Berhalter, who's managing this team, he's actually got a very good um, record at the moment. He's running at 76% win rate, which is uh, at pretty excellent, if you ask me. He took mm, over. Very excellent. Uh, he took over after the disaster of the 2018 qualification. But to me, it always comes back to the, the person who really set the foundation for one of their great spurts. Um, well, two coaches in particular, the first one being Bruce Arena. Um, yep. And then the second one I thought was absolutely maligned unfairly was Jorgen Klinsmann. Oh, Jorgen Klinsmann did wonders for that national team. He brought that European style in uh, and he actually coached them well. He wasn't just going out there as the national team manager that was just managing the guys to do what they can do from club level. He was actually coaching them into a philosophy that they might not have been playing at their club. Um, that's what we're, we're, I'm kind of seeing a lack of uh, right now. And it's like, how do you, how do you now get that forward? Cause it looks like, it looked like they were at their best when they were playing sort of a, a fairly German style or at least some sort of variation of German style football, which is, you know, very high press, uh, very effective, Efficient, very fit as well. Mm. The fitness, like like I said, they've got pace, um, so that could be one they take on. I wouldn't be changing the manager or anything, even if they don't do well in this World Cup. I think he can do a job in terms of bringing a philosophy from the fut- in, into the future of this team because uh, they are very young. They can coach them into something. Uh, but Jurgen Klinsmann, like you said, was kind of unfairly dismissed 
uh, from after what he did. He used to, he he used to do some good things. If they can get back to that, um, I'll be I'll be very happy to see them in the next World Cup. Well, the advantage I do have with Greg Bolt, uh, Berlata is that he does come with a lot of experience from the the German competition, especially during his time playing for um, Energy Cottbus, eighteen sixty Munich, and then. Um, coaching for a while over in in Germany itself before taking on and finishing up his career with the LA Galaxy, but maybe that maybe it is that German style that he needs to mm. bring back in. Yeah, there's something from that that mold. Uh, the the players now, because of their youth, wouldn't really remember the way that Jurgen Klinsmann had it taught it. Some of them might or haven't even played under that style before, but with the pedigree that he brings from that European setting into the US uh, and he obviously played in the US as well. So he knows that US style uh, that they play uh, just, just combining them and doing and doing something that way. If he can get it right in the lead up in the next, what is it? 16 days away. Um, maybe he can get some good results out of that group stage and, and surprise us. Well, and with that, we now come to our last team in the lineup here for group B it is Wales. They've qualified from the UEFA second round path A winners. They beat Austria 2-1. They beat the Ukraine 1-0. Coached by Rob Page. Captained by Gareth Bale. Of course, we, we should mention as well, they cut in the lead up, of course, to Europe. They were supposed to be coached by Ryan Giggs until he got done again for shenanigans off the field, which is why Rob Page is in the position. Uh, yep. Bit of a bit of a letdown there, but Wales is my kind of hoodoo team, as I would say, because I'm going to have them going through in first place in the group ahead of England. Can you believe that? Oh wow! Um, I just think it's going to come down to that head-to-head with England, and Wales just hate losing to England. England hate losing to Wales, so it's going to be it's going to be quite quite a battle, uh, a draw. We'll just negate everything. It'll come down to our other results. But I'm, I'm seeing a win for Wales. I have no real evidence or backing why, but I'm just going on the on the Gareth Bale trying to prove something factor uh, and just score two goals and win 2-1. <laughs> of course, this is their second finals appearance. So the only other time they made the World Cup finals is all the way back in Sweden in 1958. Having said that, they did make the quarterfinals. They're ranked 19th in the world, so they're absolutely no slouch. And we go through the, the lineup mm. here. This is their best lineup in, in years. Um, yep. We start off with their goalkeeper, very well experienced in Wayne Hennessy. Uh, their defense, Chris Gunter, Connor Roberts, Joe Roden, and uh, Neko Williams, you imagine, will be there. But where I think they're going to be absolutely dynamic is going to be in that midfield with the likes, especially with the likes of Aaron Ramsey and Joe Allen working together in behind the likes of Gareth Bale, Kiffer Moore, and Daniel James. Yep, the Wales midfield seems to just be a national team midfield. Sometimes they don't play for their club. Sometimes they play poorly for their club, uh, just like Gareth Bale as well doesn't play, and then they turn up for that national team duty. Uh, and they basically turn into the Incredible Hulk. They never stop running. Uh, they've got significant strength and skill moves and dribbling that they seem to not display when they're at their club level, and it's just all about the national team. That's what I love about them. Joe Allen and Aaron, Aaron, and Aaron Ramsey, there's a tongue, tongue full for you. 
um, they can they can pretty much control a game themselves against most oppositions. Surprisingly, uh, they don't have pace, but they've got those skills and they've got that passing range. And Gareth Bale can just do anything sometimes that he wants. He's got that special something. Uh, first in the group for me, um, and you know they could they could even possibly get out of the round of sixteen as well. The only worry, there's two worries that I've got for them in terms of their their run into this. First off, is the fact that there is uh, a real lack of depth in this squad, especially if Gareth Bale is out injured. If he's if he's missing, then they're going to be in a world of trouble in terms of where they get their where they got get their goals from. The other one as well is they haven't played a game, a pra- any sort of practice game at this point um, since their nation leagues campaign, which to be honest was fairly disastrous during the um, uh, from the start of it and up until now. They've had five games. They've had uh, actually no. They've had six games, which um, saw five losses and a draw. It should be noted though that two of those that two of those games in particular that they lost were both by a goal, either to the Netherlands or Belgium. So when you consider in the grand scheme of things, not a bad stick to stake when you're only losing by one to teams like the Netherlands or Belgium. Mm. And those nations are the ones that are in those that that top echelon for. Uh, taking out the final four spots, winning the World Cup, coming second. Um, so they can mix it with the big boys. Um, and their, their group isn't particularly too hard. Um, like you said, if Gareth Bale drops out uh, through injury or whatever other circumstance, it is going to be very, very hard. Round of but golf. Yeah, for a round of golf. Maybe there's another tournament he's looking for, the World Cup of golf. Um, but... Uh, like if they're mixing it with those those big nations and getting near results or results out of that, um, that just shows some some very good solidarity to their squad. Generally, I haven't seen many of them get long term injuries and have to miss miss national games. Uh, it's generally a pretty stable squad they have uh, for their starting eleven at least, which is which is a good thing for any team. If you can get that solid team starting every time. Uh, that that chemistry builds up, and they can do things that you wouldn't suspect. Um, like I said, the the group isn't particularly hard. We, we, I can see wins against all three teams, England, US, and Iran. Um, but it's going to come down to that England game, which, you know, like I said, I I can see them winning winning that quite 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 easily. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're number one or number two. Um, I think, I'm still going to have them at number one. And I think everyone's probably going to be in agreement that it's going to be England and Wales that gets out of this group. Yep. The question is in what order, and you're making the big call that it's going to be Wales that comes yep. out in front. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, I just got no evidence to prove that it's going to happen. But I think it's just it's simply just going to come down to that, that England-Wales fixture on the head-to-heads, and I can see Wales winning it. Well, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. So a roundup of the first two groups that we've done here. Group A, Triple H Sports, is calling the Netherlands to win Group A ahead of Senegal. And in Group B, it'll be Wales against England. So there we are. We are death-riding Wales all the way to the end. That is full-time here for part one of our preview of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. We've got two more of these to go. And when we come back... Next time, it's going to be myself and Luke Scarley, and we're going to see the return of the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto, 
to take us through the rest of the six groups. We have got so much football to talk about. It is an exciting time to go through. My thanks to Luke for not only joining us, but then for the next two weeks as well. What a time to be alive. Very much so. I'm very, very eager for these 16 days to just hurry along and that World Cup first fixture to start. It's going to be shocking times for us in Australia. Uh, 3 a.m. kickoffs, some of them, but the World Cup is the World Cup. We condition our bodies to stay up all night so we can watch every fixture. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a couple of nights where we're going to be taking work home and then just working from there. (laughs) I can get 24 hours in. Around the clock we do. Oh, mate, it's the only way we can make it work. Well, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much to Luke Scarley for joining us here. That is Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au and wherever you get your podcasts. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Horns BRSL, ISC Sports and Business Plaza on behalf of of Luke Scarley, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites. <laughs>